Hello friends, welcome to Beyond the News. It's Friday the 7th of April coming up on today's show. Going to be taking a little bit of a deeper look into the emergency alert. Got a bit more information for you on that. Uh, that is of course for our UK listeners here. I will play the clip of Russell Brand talking to Graham Hancock, which I didn't get round to playing last week, which I think is really interesting. We've got a clip of the... Uh, you, I'm not certain if it's a US, oh, sorry, an Australian Senate or, um, yeah, senators. Yeah, we've played a clip from him uh, before, an Australian senator, I believe, uh, talking in uh, the Australian, uh, well, I'm going to assume Senate, if he's a senator. And I've got a real uh, little uh, treat. Jimmy Dore is on absolute fire being interviewed by Dr. McCullough. If you don't know, uh, I don't think I've ever played any Dr. McCullough on this show before but very very interesting human being written some brilliant books as well um real expert on health you should definitely check out his website uh, assuming they've allowed it to still be up you can probably go and listen to the story of dr mccola and his website somewhere else on the internet but i'll be playing that particular clip from rumble that and much much more coming up on today so let's have a gander at the gb news here they always have a box in the corner which I have to pause. I don't know whether it goes to their channel or everything like that. Very irritating. So um, this is by Dan Falvey and it's 6th of April and the headline reads Emergency alert, exact date and time, loud siren to play out on phones across the UK. So the exact date and time a nationwide emergency alert system will be tested has been confirmed. Later this month, Britons will receive a siren and urged message on their smartphones to trial a new system being rolled out by the UK government. Um, I'll just skip down to where the important information is. Users will need... This is interesting, this statement here. Users will need to click OK or swipe away the notification in order to acknowledge it. So, is that where some people got the idea from that, you know, unless you acknowledge it you're going to be locked out of your phone is that where some people have got the idea from that from assuming you know you will need to when it says you will need to click okay or swipe away from the notification what would that need be your phone you know it won't allow you to access any other menus or anything like that we shall see on April the 23rd. And the time that we will find it out is the alert will be used for the first time at 3pm on Sunday, April the 23rd. The government had previously announced the date of the test, but not the time. So we've got some more information here. Anyone who does not wish to receive the alert can opt out. Now, that's interesting that they didn't have that on the government own website that we had last week, isn't it? That's I think that's that's interesting because government is there to serve the public rather than um, be their masters. So I think in the interests of public knowledge and all that kind of public choice, you know, I think that they should have perhaps put that on the government website. Having said that, perhaps they've updated it since then perhaps this has been a recent thing and perhaps if i were to look on the government website right now they will tell you how to opt out it just wasn't information that was on there last friday i don't know perhaps you can go and check that out for yourself so perhaps i am being uh, unfair on that one anyway let's have a look at 
how to do that then, shall we? So, emergency alerts, how to switch off phone sirens set to cause chaos in just weeks by Dan Falvey again. This is the 4th of April. The alerts are automatically enabled, meaning that everyone will receive the urgent message unless they deliberately turn it off. So it goes on to tell you about what it is. And um, it says there are there are fears a lack of knowledge about the alert will lead to an increase in crashes on motorways and could cause even uh, could, could even cause harm to domestic violence victims if alerts an abusive partner to a secret phone hidden in the property. The alerts are automatically enabled, meaning that everyone will receive the alert unless they do blah, 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 blah. So let's to opt out of the service. Simply go to your phone settings. On iOS, enter the notifications tab. It will then be possible to switch off severe alerts and extreme alerts. Britons with an Android phone should search emergency alert in their phone's setting section. They will then be able to use the toggles to switch off the alerts. The emergency siren will not be received if a phone is in airplane mode. Older smartphones which cannot access the 4G or 5G phone networks will also not get the message notification. While the alerts are easy to turn off, government ministers have explained that Britons will benefit from the new system. Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster Oliver Dowden MP said last month we are strengthening our national resilience with a new emergency alert system to deal with a wide range of early blah 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 blah. So um, there we go. That's how you apparently can opt out and switch off. So a little bit more information than we did have last week. Now, speaking of more information, let's go. And I'm not going to play all of this clip and I am going to skip about 10, 15 seconds of it because uh, they do swear. And uh, this is so I'm going to play about 10 minutes of this. And this is Russell Brand interviewing Graham Hancock about his uh, extremely popular Netflix series. I think it's um, I think it's one of their most popular series that they've had uh, in the last year or so, isn't it? So uh, you can go and look at the stats for yourself. But um, you know that there's this ongoing theme of anyone that doesn't toe the establishment line is some sort of right winger or racist or um, stuff like that. Um, it's got to the point of ridiculousness. We've had it on the Euliz cameras, haven't they? Don't don't want to pay a £12.50 fine. You're a racist. Um, now, of course, I am paraphrasing, using a bit of satire there. Sadiq, what Sadiq Khan actually said was you're allying yourself with racists. But um, as I pointed out, if you get millions of people in a Euliz scheme that are against it if you were to take a, you know there are now millions from what the well I'm, I'm assuming that there are gathering from the um, large amounts of feedback on the uh, Daily Mail comment section that were all in favour of um, not having you Liz and if you take a wide enough cross section of any society I'm probably you'll be able to find um, every everything under there you'd be able to find butcher, baker, racist you know, whatever um, and I would have thought that that number would be quite small so 
it sort of seems just a little bit silly and it can only backfire imagine being someone that you know it's going to backfire in this way imagine just you know not wanting to pay the Eulis charge and then you go and listen to Sadiq Khan say something like that and you've been on various peaceful protests and you haven't You've talked to loads of people and everyone seems quite nice and no one can really wants to pay the £12.50 charge and you haven't seen a single um, hint of anything extreme right-wing, Nazi or, you know, any of racist or anything quite like that. You're going to be sitting looking around. Going, we, we haven't seen anyone like that. You know, we, it's, it's going to just be a little bit silly and then you're going to end up I think it might end up where people go well I think he's just sort of alluded to the fact that if you're anti-Ulis you're a right winger aren't you I'm not a right winger at all I wonder who else they've called a right winger that isn't one I might start to go and check out what some of those people have to say because I'm starting to think that anyone disagreeing with the establishment they just call a right winger so if you thought that was ridiculous, and again, you know, Sadiq Khan could probably go, right, we've used our cameras, we've found someone, out of the millions of people over there, that person has been convicted of race crimes. He could probably do that for, you know, one or two people. But um, it seems just a little bit of a silly statement to make when the other 99.9% .9 just don't want to pay the £12.50 for whatever reason anyway if you thought that was a silly statement to make then cop a load of this this is <laughs> this is graham hancock and he's faced criticism for being a right winger and a racist for just talking about he thinks that there was an ancient civilization ten thousand five hundred years ago and he he's uh He's married to uh, a lady, and now I will use the exact term that Russell Brand uses, a, a woman of colour. That's the exact term Russell Brand uses, and uh, Graham seems to be uh, completely fine with that. And um, that's where the swearing occurs, because obviously Russell finds it ridiculous, and um, Graham finds it ridiculous. So if it just sort of goes... <laughs> you'll know that I've skipped about 15 minutes and um, oh, sorry, 15 seconds 15 minutes sorry whole video is only about 18 but I won't be playing it all anyway I've rambled enough listen it it's getting a little bit silly you know it's not just if you speak out against the what the establishment line is for you know 2023 with Euler's cameras it's speaking out against the establishment for what they've said happened 10,000 years ago it is a bit silly now at this point. Here we go. Let's uh, have a listen to Russell Brand. Is it possible that the elites are hiding secrets bigger than we ever dared to imagine? Yes! <coughs> Hello there.
Hey, you 6.3 million Awakening Wonders. Thanks for joining us on this voyage towards truth and freedom. We must cultivate and nurture the light within so that the truth that is evident can be realized within and without. Turn on the notification bell right now so that you don't miss these daily bulletins. We work hard to make them for you. Without you, we are nothing. Subscribe right now because there's content every single day. Have you noticed that censorship has radically increased? That conversations that used to be ordinary and innocuous are suddenly being censored. The meaning of words is changing. They're flipping our reality all around us, trying to befuddle and bemuse us so we can't confidently communicate with one another. I had a conversation with Graham Hancock, author, archaeologist and TV presenter about arcane civilizations and in particular, why is it that mainstream archaeology and the mainstream media are so keen to shut down conversations about subjects that just 10, 20 years ago would have seemed commonplace? Why are they trying to to prevent us talking about the origins of our species, varying theories. How are we going to evolve and learn more if we don't include peripheral dissenting voices? What happens if we don't even have the right to be wrong? Imagine, for example, that Graham Hancock's wrong and there wasn't a cataclysmic event that wiped out a civilization. Oh, okay then, that's just a theory that was wrong. Have a look at this conversation. You're going to love it. It's fantastic. Stay to the very end. Let me know in the comments what questions you'd like to have seen asked. Remember, the entire conversation is up on Rumble and also available as a podcast. Were you not upset like uh, your wife, Xanthe, she's a woman of colour. What about when they're saying you're racist? Didn't that read any of Hancock's work or look at his series? And those key words included saying that my work supports white supremacy, that it, uh, that it encourages uh, racism, uh, that it's misogynistic, and that it's anti-Semitic. All of those phrases were applied to my series. Uh, I don't understand why. No, except, not why. Except to say, except to say... I'm against we, all those things. <laughs> if, if, we, we, if, if we stick these labels enough, and if enough people repeat these labels, then people say, oh, we won't bother reading Hancock because he's a racist and a white supremacist. And that seemed to be the idea. That's propaganda. That's not that real propaganda. scientific debate. That was that was going on there. So you're yeah. right because archaeology, in particular, could afford a spirit of amateurism. Like my understanding, yeah. like from people like Sheldrake and stuff, is that you know that even much botany and biology mm. emerged out of like priest class. It was yeah. almost an amateur pursuit of religious folk. And of course, there's a place for experts, as you say, with your pilot analogy. Of course, you need expertise, but what you don't need is technocracy and aristocracy, mm. a, a institutionalized elite class that's saying we're the only people that are allowed mm. to discuss this. You see it in the media all the time. We're spoken to like we are stupid. That We are cast in the role of subjugates, of children. That's yeah. how the discourse takes place. Have a look at that Fauci clip. Have a look at the sort of the, the orthodox, what do I want to say, Pharisee-like mm. contempt that is dispatched by people in positions of scientific authority. Of course, if you're in a position of scientific authority, you have scientific authority. That's where it ends. It's not mm. for it to start telling people what to do, shit. Mm. Like it starts to, what they appear to do is demark a territory where the expertise is difficult to dispute and then use that as a point of uh, departure mm -hmm. for 
applicable authority, despotism and tyranny. Mm. And once you start saying, hey, maybe the past isn't what we think is, should we look at some new ideas? It's always been the case that advancing and emergent ideas come from the periphery because the establishment has a vested interest in containing yeah. its uh, personal set of human hermeneutics, its own personal epistemology. Mm. It guards it for that is the source of its power. Once you break open the tabernacle and start saying, hey, why don't we all have a look around? Mm. How about we all have our own relationship with God? How about we all... Like, that doesn't mean you're going to let some nitwit be in charge of an aeroplane or mm. a pandemic response, but you do also want to know, are the people in charge of this response financially invested in particular outcomes Definitely. are we getting all of the all of the available information is the media unbiased are they giving us are they allowing all potential voices to participate in this conversation oddly for all of their talk of diversity they see pretty pre, they seem pretty interested in exclusivity and in particular exclusion and so i suppose like your particular case uh demonstrates what these forces will do mm. when a new emergent voice uh, is heard and becomes popular, mm. even if it seems odd to use phrases like anti-Semitism, misogyny, and it doesn't make sense the, even. The, the racism thing really, really, really hurt me at, at, a per, at a personal level, because as you rightly say, South, South is a woman of colour. She's from South, South Indian origin, born in, born in Malaysia. We have mixed-race children. And to be publicly labelled as a as a racist, I have to confess that really hurt me. It wounded me deeply, and I and, and I couldn't get why that was being flung at me, except that it would be a useful way to turn people off my work. And that's the that's the propaganda aspect of this. That I am I I realise that I am involved in a propaganda war, uh, and that uh, that needs to be taken seriously if I'm going to get my point of view. Across uh, and the, the 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 other thing is, and we'll we'll come, we'll come on to this Amazon issue. Uh, so archaeologists claim, or archaeology as an institution claims, that they know enough about the past to rule out completely any possibility of any kind of thing that we would call a civilization during the Ice Age. But there's a real problem with that because archaeology has only investigated tiny areas of the world. A great deal of archaeology that's done is done because a road or a dam is being built. And archaeologists are called in to make sure that there's nothing of historical interest in there. So it's random in that sense, the areas that they're looking at. Then, <coughs> most important to me, is that issue of sea level rise at the end of the Ice Age. That 400-foot rise in sea level that occurred when the Ice Age came to an end. The 27 million square kilometers of continental shelves that were swallowed up by the sea at that time, which have hardly been investigated by archaeology. There is some marine archaeology. They're even beginning now, just in the last few years, to look at the continental shelves. And that's when the whole notion of Doggerland was discovered that Britain was joined to the continent and that there was a there were there were people there. Steady. Uh, but most we did that Brexit once. Yes. And we'll do it again if yes. we have to. Even if it takes an ice age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so the 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 main focus of marine archaeology is on shipwrecks from relatively recent history. There needs to be a much more comprehensive survey of the continental shelves before we can write off the possibility of a civilization destroyed in that cataclysm. And it's not only the continental shelves. Then you've got the 9 million square kilometers of the Sahara Desert. We know for sure that there were periods during the Ice Age when the Sahara was rich and fertile, 
Huge river systems ran through it. There were lakes in the Sahara. And yet, because it's remote, because it's very expensive to operate there, very little archaeology has been done in the Sahara. So that's another 9 million square kilometers of the Earth's surface that archaeology really doesn't know a lot about. And then there's the Amazon rainforest. Now, it used to be about 7 million square kilometers, but these horrific clearances that have been taking place in the Amazon have brought it down to closer to 5, 5 to 6 million square kilometers that are still untouched under canopy rainforest. Um, and and uh, this is another area where only very minimal archaeology has been done. And for archaeology to claim that it knows everything about our past while it's not investigated the continental shelves, it's not investigated the Sahara Desert, and it's not investigated the Amazon rainforest uh, is a terrible oversight, in my view, particularly since, I repeat, I'm not against individual archaeologists. I'm against the institution. And there are archaeologists now working with a technology called LIDAR, light imaging and detecting and ranging, which you fly a plane over the area that you want to look at, and it can look down through the canopy of the Amazon rainforest, and it can see what's underneath it. And what they're finding is evidence of, of enormous cities that existed in the Amazon. Oddly enough, those cities were actually spoken about by a, a, a Spanish traveler in the um, late 1500s. Um, and and uh, why did they vanish? Because the Spanish brought with them smallpox. And the smallpox completely destroyed the populations of the, of the Amazon. But at one time, it was, a, it was a flourishing, highly populated area. Secondly, they were creating enormous sacred constructions, things that we would call henges today, like Avebury Henge, that deep circular trench that surrounds Avebury. Uh, in the Amazon, the LIDAR, LIDAR technology is finding dozens and dozens of examples of these. Enormous hinges. Some of them are circular. Some of them are square. Some of them enclose a circle within a square. It's all very geometrical. It's most unexpected in the Amazon. And it's very, very, very old. Been detected by LIDAR. They've been physically examined in places that have been already cleared of rainforest. They definitely exist. They're definitely old. And what's needed now is a much more thorough investigation of the Amazon rainforest itself by archaeology, if archaeology wishes to continue to claim that it knows everything about the human past. It's analogous in many ways to fields that I pay more attention to myself, where there is an assumption, but where there has been no exploration or observation, nothing exists. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, nothing there. Well, you, have you looked yeah. yet? Yeah. No. Once, Brian Cox, who's someone I actually really like, he's an atheist and stuff, like he said, if you can't measure it, it isn't there. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, but surely that means that we are limiting all potential realities to the realities that can be contained by sensory instruments that by their nature must be limited. Yeah, literally to weighing, measuring and counting. Yes. The reality is confined to what we can weigh, measure and count. That, that is largely the position of, of mainstream science in this area. That's where Rupert Sheldrake gets himself into so much trouble, because you can't weigh, measure and count telepathy, for example. Uh, you can do scientific experiments concerning it, and Rupert has done so. His work is scientifically rigorous, but it's dismissed automatically because most scientists say, of course there's no such thing as telepathy. The brain is, uh, the, brain is the generator of all consciousness, and it's limited to our bodies, and it cannot communicate with other brains without words or language in between. It's necessarily speculative to include... So that's where I will leave that and... 
give you a couple of articles here now. So I'm not familiar with uh, Press Gazette, but uh, it does link through to the actual study itself. So as ever, whether it's if it's something I'm not familiar with or alternative media or anything, I'll try and keep things mainstream media. But if they give link to the actual, you know, if it's a video of someone speaking or um, a study in this case, then I'll cover it. Um, so this is quite interesting here, I think. The headline reads, Facebook report disparages news, small and diminishing role for publisher content. News links account for less than 3% of posts people see in their Facebook feeds. A report commissioned by Meta about Facebook's relationship with news providers argued the platform is not a must-have one for publishers. The report claimed links to news stories account for less than 3% of what Facebook users around the world see in their feeds and that publishers' content therefore plays an economically small and diminishing role on the platform. It later described that role as limited and falling and that said that the proportion was so low because just 7.5% of all posts seen in US Facebook feeds even contain a link. The fact that Meta derives little economic value from the sharing of news content on Facebook explains why its willingness to pay for news content is, in most cases, zero. The report was produced by US-based economic consulting firm NERA for Meta in response to legislation being prepared in the UK, US and Canada to force the Facebook owner and Google to pay publishers for the use of their news content. Australia passed its News Media Bargaining Code in 2021. Facebook has already begun to distance itself from news, repeatedly altering its algorithm in a way that deprioritizes publisher content, revealing last year that it will no longer pay publishers in the US to feature their content in its Facebook news tab and dropping instant articles. The report examined news publishers' uh, contentions that they are undercompensated by Meta as a result of some form of market failure and concluded that there is no imbalance of power in that relationship. Something news public... Anyway, you remember I said Facebook's just going to be turning... You know, because everyone says, oh, Facebook's in trouble, and like that. Oh, no. Oh, by the way, that was dated April the 3rd of this year. And I always said, no, it's not at all. It's just going to become a place where people just put pictures of their dinners and treat it like a diary. And the old, oh, my God, can't believe it. And then someone, you know, on their feed and then someone comments, oh, are you OK, honey? And the person then replies, don't want to talk about it or something like that. <laughs> you know, I've seen that quite a few times. Or DM me or something like that, you know. it's Or pictures of their pets and that sort of stuff. And I think that's what it will kind of turn into in a, a place for intelligent debate and discussion and, um, you know, debating the events of the world think you're just going to sort of see it the place turning into quite a sort of self-indulgent um self-indulgent place where people that want intelligent debate about the issues of the world no longer feel it's relevant to them saying that i'm now going to go to facebook <laughs> and play a clip of uh, a senator in australia so would this count as news is this a news link? I honestly don't know.
but uh, let's listen to it anyway. I've played a clip of this chap on here before um, with some very intelligent comments and it seems like he's got some more now talking about the WEF. Australia as a sovereign... Oh no, or some sort of... The WHO this time, World Health Organisation. ...nation has the right to exercise its own judgments and its decisions when it comes to dealing with healthcare issues and emergencies. And power consolidated in the hands of a few, especially when those few are an international elite, establishes a precedent of subordinating ourselves to globalist institutions like the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, and in the case of this particular motion, the World Health Organization. Now, throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, we witnessed Australia's CHOs, chief health officers, uh, premiers obediently defer to the advice of the World Health Organization, which pushed for the hardest possible restrictions, including lockdowns, border closures, mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and so on, and all without concern for the damage that might be done to the countries upon whose advice they were relying. And much of this advice was not only wrong, but it was also dangerous. And I'm speaking of the advice specifically there in relation to lockdowns and mandates. But this didn't prevent the WHO Director Tedros from telling the world in early 2020 that, and I quote, one of the greatest dangers we now face is complacency and there must be a new normal. Well, when millions of people are locked in their homes, Tedros said, once again, quoting, the same public health measures that we've been advocating since the beginning of the pandemic must remain the backbone of the response in all countries. Find every case, isolate every case, test every case, care for every case, trace and quarantine every contact. It's hard to believe in hindsight, but that's what was being said. Anyone who pointed out basic facts was deemed a conspiracy theorist by the WHO, and they encouraged the actions I just described, which trampled the most basic rights, liberties and dignity of Australian citizens and citizens throughout the world. Such rights included the rights to freedom of speech, movement and association. And I say freedom of speech because anyone who defied the WHO's supposedly expert advice, including eminent medical professionals, were censored and vilified by the media and big tech at the behest of government and these organisations, and only the only narrative that was allowed oxygen were those parroting the WHO. Many Australian healthcare providers were suspended for contradicting what was ultimately the WHO's position on COVID-19 vaccines. Their predictions and observations have turned out to be correct, and we'll see how that narrative is slowly changing. And we saw it this weekend when, on Saturday, on the front page of The Weekend Australian, the tragic story of Amy Sedgwick was told. Uh, and the article explains how a 24-year-old woman's health rapidly deteriorated following her COVID-19 injections which is thought to have led to her death. Yet the WHO's website to date states, quote, the vaccine is safe and effective for all individuals aged six months and above. All efforts should be taken to achieve high vaccine coverage rates in the highest and high priority use groups. Well, clearly we see we have here a contradiction between what is reality and what is actually the official advice of the WHO. And it should be obvious to anyone, anyone with a functioning memory, that the story of the Weekend Australian this weekend would have been deemed and considered dangerous and probably even anti-vax uh, by the censorship industrial complex known as the mainstream media in this country, which only a year ago parroted the WHO's dangerous lines. The WHO is slowly drip-feeding these stories to normalise the idea that people who pushed against this agenda were wrong, and also that there's no way they could have known at the time. Well, we did know at the time. People did know at the time. Experts did know at the time. And there are thousands of stories out there like the tragic one of Amy Sedgwick and her families. If only people 
People in this place had taken the time to listen to them and nobody did bar a few. I say that because the rules that Amy Sedgwick followed were precisely the same rules that the WHO sought to have member governments of the WHO enforce. So why then would we even entertain further involving ourselves with this body? Why would we possibly entertain signing and ratifying a treaty to make further encumbrances on our own sovereign nation. In the early days of the pandemic, the WHO refused to investigate the Chinese Communist Party's potential involvement in the development and release of COVID-19, despite the fact that the virus came from China. It was never, ever, ever an issue. Just down the road, we had a major virology institute that had labs in which coronaviruses had been experimented on. And when they finally did start investigating the CCP, they quickly confirmed that there was no wrongdoing on their part. We've all forgotten that, but that's what happened. Coincidentally, the WHO refused to acknowledge the existence of a little country called Taiwan. This is the body we're dealing with. This is the body we're talking about here, the one that's so vaunted by those opposite the chamber. So one might well be excused for being just a tiny bit sceptical about the WHO's supposed independence when it comes to international matters. I believe that government power needs to be at its lowest possible feasible level. And wherever that power is given, it shouldn't be abused on a supernatural level. And of course, national or federal power is required. The federal government shouldn't be controlling the lives of communities. And this is even more so in the case at international level. And the idea that the WHO should have control over individuals' personal medical choices is an egregious abuse of power. This WHO pandemic treaty represents a further descent into the world of centralised powers our leaders, our representatives in this place are failing to prevent, and you'll all understand in due course, I assure you of that. Our government departments are walking lockstep with a globalist agenda of the WEF, the UN and the WHO, and we're ceding our national sovereignty bit by bit, death by a thousand cuts. There's a lot to discuss with this proposed treaty, but if you choose just one example, Article 17 deals with the strengthening pandemic and public health literacy, and it reads, quote, the WHO will conduct regular social listening and analysis to identify the prevalence and profiles of misinformation, which contribute to the design communications and messaging of strategies for the public to counter misinformation. And what else? Disinformation. What's the difference? We'll never know. This is what the document says. Presumably the WHO will define what is deemed to be misinformation and presumably disinformation at some time, and then we'll all knew and even uses the term false news. I'm sure this would be very convenient for the financial contributors to the WHO who are heavily invested in the development and manufacturing of vaccines. And as I stated earlier, much, if not all, of what the WHO considered misinformation ultimately was, guess what? True. Turned out to be true. How about that? Why then would the Australian government entertain a treaty which allows the WHO to define what constitutes misinformation under the guise of international law and presumably work with social media companies to further censor the people of Australia and those that take a stand. I mean, that's what design communications and messaging strategy really means, ultimately. Essentially, the Australian government's lining up to sign an agreement that the WHO is the central body determining how once sovereign nations prepare for and deal with pandemics. We don't need international solidarity. We, we need to be establishing ourselves as a sovereign nation with our own response mechanisms in place, and they should strike a balance between public health and safety as a fundamental respect for people's dignity and human rights, as well as being genuine, genuine science-based. Genuine science-based. Not genuine science-based. Simply put, the WHO will ensure that the process by which pandemic-related products, which obviously means vaccines, are approved by regulatory agencies, in this case, the TGA, it will be even speedier. 
Apparently, the COVID-19 vaccines were not developed and approved quickly enough, despite the lack of long-term safety data of any form. And once again, I can't help but notice how convenient this is to the pharmaceutical investors and manufacturers. Saturday's Weekend Australian presents an undeniable proof of why this hastening of development of these drugs is dangerous. Australia is being led by blind guides who are not listening to the voices of Australian people or even the dissenting voices of highly qualified experts, but to the voices of international elites whose top priority is not to do what is best for the people of Australia. So I support this motion, I commend it, and my view is, get out of the who. So that was Senator Alex Antic. I don't know if Australians are allowed to be Prime Ministers in other countries, but uh, wouldn't it be great if we could have that guy as Prime Minister and um, or the, um, the German lady that I've played uh, clips for before, uh, whose name I forget, but uh, I'm a big fan of as well. Um, or um, just go with um, the uh, Andrew Bridgen, something like that. But imagine a, a party with them three in it, what they could achieve. Now, I sent, uh, I shared, I should say, I shared a clip onto the Beyond the News Telegram group. And um, I, I think the clip itself is interesting. It's from RT. However, the writing underneath it isn't mine. And... Um, I probably could find out how to get the video and upload it without the writing, but that would take a long time, and I'm quite lazy, so I just was chose the lazy option and shared it. But I don't actually agree with the writing. It's uh, the writing is Facebook is in big trouble. I've said on many occasions I don't think it's ever going to be in big trouble. I think it will be less profitable and less popular, but I don't think it's going to go anywhere. So, just uh, not just a a word for this video but for all future videos you know I'm sharing the video that's what I'm all about you share the actual content and you can make up your own mind but um, the writing underneath you know just because I share a video doesn't necessarily I'll agree with the person who's uploaded the videos take on it and their writing underneath I'm all about let's just look at the original content and something like that so I shared the video and um, we're going to listen to the video, but the writing Facebook is in big trouble. Pfft, nope, I do not believe that. And speaking of um, sharing stuff and everything, I own no copyright to any of the videos I've played on this podcast um, or any of the other 130 odd um, <laughs> that I've done. So if anyone ever has an issue with anything that I've shared, do please let me know at uh, beyondthenews at protonmail.com. So now let's have a listen to the RT article on the Facebook. And the Foundation's views aren't necessarily reflected in its decisions. But author and liberal studies expert Michael Rechtenwald believes such connections pose risks to the public. This is absolute collusion on the part of uh, vaccine manufacturers having funding the uh, fact checkers on social media so we're actually getting to the point where people's lives are being endangered we've lost all confidence in the social media and our mainstream media entirely anything that comes into contradiction with the leftist agenda is deemed misinformation people are now not able to get information about what's best for their health including the detriments of the vaccine So um, that's uh, about the the Facebook fact checkers. They're they're not. Um, yeah, I think there'll be more to come out on uh, on that sort of stuff as we move forward. So now 
uh, and again I'm playing it from Facebook there's a there was that lady from the House of Lords who did a wonderful uh, speech on um, why she was against the government's anti-protest bill and she's uh, come up with another lovely speech the video uh, is Baroness Jones apparently let's listen to what uh, the Baroness has to say right government that bans I asked on Twitter recently uh, the question, what do you call a corrupt far-right government that bans strikes, bans protests that are too noisy, suppresses the right to vote, gives police spies legal immunity, takes the power to make or reject laws away from Parliament and hands it to ministers? Now, I had quite a few replies on this, and most said fascism, uh, which, of course, you know, was fair enough, but actually there was one response that said scared. And this is a government of the rich, who are making suitcases full of money while avoiding paying their taxes. And I think they are scared. No one would, but a terrified government would keep bringing these terrible laws to your Lordship's house. And the government is scared that the people on PAYE are suffering from inflation, high interest rates, and 13 years of Tory austerity are going to demand their money back. The money that was stolen with the PPE fast track and numerous other government scams that put money in the pockets of their friends while fleecing the taxpayer. Many of those on strike in the last few months have not had a proper pay rise for the last decade. And instead of their earning respect for years of being underpaid for the work they do and carrying on doing it, they're lectured on the need for further restraint by the richest prime minister in this country's history. Clapping doesn't pay the bills. We heard that after COVID and it's still true. So instead of meetings and compromise, the workers are being hit with draconian laws. Ministers are being given huge powers that could see them ban strikes across six public services, potentially involving millions of workers. And these aren't minimal powers, and these aren't targeted powers. They are the powers of a dictatorship that can be interpreted by ministers as widely as they choose. There's no recognition, as we heard, of the life and limb provisions that are already in place during strike action, which exempts certain categories of staff from strikes where there may otherwise be a direct danger to people. And the government don't recognise existing agreements because they once again wish to invent a problem that doesn't exist in order to justify a right-wing policy that suppresses opposition. They've done it with voter ID and the clampdown on the right to protest. And of course, the Johnson government ended a ban on employment agencies supplying workers to temporarily replace striking workers. That had been, that ban had been enforced since 1976, but the Tories overturned it. So what happens when teachers and nurses don't get paid enough? We get the situation we have today. People give up on public service and move to the private sector instead. The number of children packed into school classrooms goes up and the results go down. The number of NHS staff vacancies gets longer, and so do the waiting times. And those who can pay go private. Money will buy you smaller class sizes in private schools, just as money will buy you a shortcut to health care. And that's ultimately why many in this government don't, don't want to give a pay rise that matches inflation. Austerity is a political choice. If we tax the rich, we could pay the deserving. The truth is that many in this government want public services in a permanent state of collapse because it matches their privatisation agenda. These anti-strike laws are an attempt to stop public servants from protecting our public services. 
I'm going to be very brief because I think a lot of people have said a lot of incredibly valuable things, uh, mostly on this side of the chamber, obviously. Um, there's, there's two final things to say. Um, this thing about minimum service levels, now, the, the, the noble lady Baroness Whitaker asked about that. What does that mean? I wonder what it means because this government hasn't managed to hit a target ever since it got elected. So I can't think how they're going to manage minimum service levels. And secondly, the minister's opening, a fine opening, minister. Um, pub the public expect essential services to be there when they need them. Then why doesn't the government get round the table? Why doesn't the government negotiate? Why is it behaving like complete and utter oafs? I really hope that we can throw this out, and I'm thrilled that Labour will repeal it as soon as they get into power. Uh, that won't be too long now. <laughs> So um, just some thoughts on that. Um, not certain what party she's from. I'm going to assume Labour. Um, good that Labour would repeal out um, certain laws like that. But that doesn't mean I'm in favour of Labour. I think that they'll uh, they, they probably the NHS will be a bit better off in this country. But I think they're going to bring in some authoritarian censorship. And I think that's what how it really works is bring in the red management arm to bring in the international agenda that the red supporters want to go along with, then bring in the blue ones to get them. And each time we get a successive amounts of government, their own parties and grassroots lose faith in them. And they realise, well, you might have done one good thing, but you did 10 bad things. And you all seem to have these same friends that, uh, and, you know, so on and so forth. And then each time we get uh, a change of red or blue management, we seem to be more out of pocket higher taxed, less civil liberties. And usually, you know, a little bit more censorship here and there and authoritarianism. And so I just wanted to make it out that, uh, yeah, I do believe Labour would uh, benefit the NHS in this country a bit better. But um, that doesn't mean I'm a Labour voter or completely unaware that, um, or, or even in belief that Keir Starmer would turn this country around and be a Prime Minister for the people in any way, shape or form. I actually think in terms of authoritarianism, he'll be worse. But yeah, I'll give it to him that the NHS might be a little bit better funded. Move on now from the independent. Coherent radio signal detected from alien planet prompting hope in search for life. New findings suggest planet could have magnetic fields and therefore is more likely to be habitable. That's from the Independent, Andrew Griffin, a day ago. A coherent radio signal has been detected from an alien planet suggesting it could be more likely to be habitable. The signal suggests that the planet has its own magnetic field, blah blah blah, it repeats itself. Our Earth, our magnetic field, helps protect us from the high energy particles and plasma that are blasted from the sun. As such, any alien life is likely to depend on being protected by a similar field. But until now, researchers have struggled to confirm whether distant rocky planets have magnetic fields of their own and therefore have found it difficult to say how likely a planet might be able to support life. Now, the new candidate, YZSETI-B, or for our American listeners, that's YZSETI-B, a rocky planet that orbits a star about 12 light years away, has sent a repeating radio signal that comes from the star and seems to be affected by the planet. The radio waves the researchers detected from the planet appear to be generated when the star interacts with its planet's magnetic field. Because the two of them are so close together, the new candidate is an ideal pair to test theories about whether those magnetic fields could be detectable at such a distance. 
Uh, we're actually seeing the aurora on the star. That's what this radio emission is, said Sebastian Pineda, an astrophysicist at the University of Colorado and one of the researchers who saw the signal. There should be an aurora on the planet if it has its own atmosphere. So from that, I'm deriving that it's not necessarily, you know, the alien version of BBC Radio 1. It could be a, would you say, naturally created radio signal don't know enough about that subject to know about that but um interesting nonetheless so yeah coherent radio signal detected from alien planet they're still not sure if it's you know i don't want to use the word (laughs) man-made alien made for example or whether it's something generated naturally from magnetic fields that's my take on that but i'm no expert BBC now, one day ago, Ofsted unit unfit for purpose, says ex-inspector. A school leader who quit as an Ofsted inspector this week has told the BBC he felt his role could cause more harm than good. Dr Martin Hanbury's decision comes after head teacher Ruth Perry took her own life ahead of a report downgrading her school to inadequate. Teachers in the National Education Union are also being urged to refuse to do inspections for England's regulator. Ofsted said most school leaders found them constructive and collaborative the department of education's see teachers in the national education union are also being urged to refuse to do inspection who's doing the urging that would be i'll see if i can scroll down and get an answer for you for that anyway that's where you can go and read all the articles for yourself i'll just do a quick once over of the headlines for them Human memory unreliable, even in short term. Study finds independent. And this is Vishwam Shakaran. Memory is shaped by what we expected to see right from the formation of the first memory trace. So I always think that's quite interesting thing to remember that. I always say uh, there's different ways of looking at this. If That's why it's always important to give different points of view and I try and get articles from across the political spectrum and listen to different people's takes on it because if someone pulls out a coin you show them the coin side that has heads on it i see the one that has tails on it and then a third person goes what did you see and the person goes i saw a picture of a head the other person says i saw a picture of a tail which one is lying neither it's just they have different perspectives from their own point of view and sometimes according to this our perspectives and perceptions and um, what we see at the time may not even with those um, you know limitations from our own certain points of view can be impacted by memory and we may not be even though our memory may be extremely um, vivid to us it may not necessarily be what we saw at the time and even then you know it's dependent on our point of view at that time so always important to keep an open mind always important to listen to other people's points of view debate calmly that kind of stuff people may misremember events often within seconds and reshape memories to fit their expectations, according to a new study that sheds more light on such illusions in short-term memory. Previous studies have shown that people's perceptions of their surroundings can be shaped by their expectations, which can lead to illusions. 
So, of course, there's a very interesting uh, phenomenon of cognitive dissonance as well that's well worth looking at. So now I'm going to read out a article that I've never, ever read out before. Human memory, unreliable, even in short term, study finds. Ha, ha, ha. Cheap joke, but it was there to make. Now then, let's... Uh, we're in this the, I think Jimmy Dawes is just hitting it out of the park in this interview and we're going to tail off the show with it. Uh, it. It's one of those shows where it plays you like a clip of about 30 seconds beforehand and then goes into the show and so you might hear that 30 seconds again. But it's great. Dr. McCullough, I'm a big fan of his website. Um, it really knows his stuff, in my unqualified opinion. <laughs> but here's Jimmy Dawes, not in his own show, but being interviewed by Dr. McCullough. And what I really love about Dr. McCullough is he takes the same route I do that he bleeps out the swearing so I don't have to do any editing which is lovely so here we go Jimmy Dawes being interviewed by Dr McCola do check out both of their respective um, web presences you know social media YouTube channels this kind of thing this is being played from Rumble so uh, you know I think it's McCola's channel I'm definitely going to bookmark that page because uh, I didn't know McCola had his Rumble uh, channel but um do big fan of that man's work. Here we go. Let's listen. We've got a real treat for you. We have a superstar stand-up comedian, Jimmy Dore, who has been fooled and propagandized by the COVID narrative and wound up getting the COVID shot. And he's going to go into great details and summarize what his position is on this and his take on the world and philosophy. It's just a real treat and he's funny as can be. So you're really going to enjoy this. I was completely propagandized. I was uh, I was completely afraid. I have a bone condition that I have to treat every day. And so uh, I was afraid. They made it sound like if you got COVID, it's going to go find your most vulnerable part of your body and it's going to infect it and kill you. And so I was convinced that if I got it, it was going to go right to my bones and it was going to kill me. And at that time, we didn't know that there were other doctors out there with another narrative. I didn't know about the Great Barrington Declaration. I didn't know that there were other leading scientists and doctors who had a different idea. I didn't know what a criminal Dr. Fauci was. I, I didn't know that he did the same thing with the, in the AIDS crisis. So then I took the vaccine. I got sick. Uh, never got better, right? So it was just horrible side effects. I had 180 over 120 was my blood pressure. I could have had a stroke at any moment. I had nerve pain, nerve damage. I had joint pain. I had uh, exhaustion, short of breath, the whole thing. I had it for, for months. Luckily, a doctor who was on the forefront of treating people who were vaccine injured gave me fluvoxamine. They gave me azithromycin, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sure. They gave me ivermectin. And when he gave me ivermectin, I was like, hey, what's this? You know, I think this is that horse paste. And they go, and that's when it was explained to me that we were being lied to on a scale that our minds can't comprehend. That ivermectin not only is not dangerous, it's not only a, uh, for animals, it's a human medicine. And in fact, it won the Nobel Prize for Human Medicine, and it's on the WHO list of essential medicines, been prescribed billions of times, and has saved billions of lives. And it has, and it's less toxic than Tylenol. And I was like, are you kidding me? And he said, Jimmy, before COVID, they were looking at ivermectin to treat cancer. It was considered a wonder drug. 
And the reason why they're lying about it now is because if ivermectin treats COVID, they can't get their authorization, emergency use authorization, to get these vaccines, and then that's all over. So that was like, oh my God, they're lying about it. So this is just a big money grab. These people are pathological liars, criminals. We're ruled by criminals. And I hope Bobby Kennedy gets people in the streets because that's the only way to get this done. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. McCole helping to take control of your health. And today we're in for a real treat. One of my favorite comedians, Jimmy Dore, who is we've posted many of his videos on our site uh, for his incisive commentary into the truth about uh, COVID-19 and, and all the propaganda that's going on. So uh, welcome and thank you for joining us, Jimmy. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you're we both grew up in Chicago and uh, you you left for California, the West, progressive woke California. I left for Florida. So it was one of the best moves of my life from a location perspective. So how, how long ago did you move to, to California? January 1st, 1995, I got in the car, packed all my stuff in it and drove to Los Angeles. That's good. Do you have any regrets? <laughs> no. You, you missed the Chicago winters. The only regret I have is that I didn't move to New York first for a few years. Because uh, I would like to have lived in New York, I think I'm, I love cities, and Los Angeles is more of a bunch of suburbs strung together. And uh, not that I don't like Los Angeles, I do, uh, but I think I, I I really really enjoy New York, Manhattan when I go there. But that's the only that's the that's it. Um, everything worked out in Los Angeles for me when I got to town. Uh, it was a real refuge, being around all the other comedians and actors and artists and. Uh, I got lucky. I got an agent right away and I was able to get on television right away. So everything worked out. I was really happy. And uh, yeah, I, I, the only thing I'm upset about is that it's been so rainy and cold in Los Angeles this year. It's it's uh, <laughs> happens. You know, that's what happens with global warming, right? <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, you, uh, you know, I'm impressed with your critical thinking skills because uh, you really, like most people, got uh, uh, engaged with the propaganda and were brainwashed into believing that the the vaccine and the jab would be a really good strategy. And you took the jab and you got side effects from it and suffered. And you had to find a, um, a physician who was really able to guide you through the process. And I'm not sure if you completely recovered, but maybe you can share that story because it, it's impressive that you, your critical thinking skills were functioning, unlike maybe a third of Americans who just, no matter what amount of evidence you throw at them, they're just so brainwashed, they can't see the truth far before their eyes. I was completely propagandized. I was uh, I was completely afraid. Uh, that I was convinced that if I got COVID, that I have a bone condition that I have to treat every day. And so uh, I was afraid. They made it sound like if you got COVID, it's going to go find your most vulnerable part of your body and it's going to infect it and kill you. And so I was convinced that if I got it, it was going to go right to my bones and it was going to kill me. And I was scared to death. And so I knew I was going to take the vaccine and um, I was afraid uh, to look into it. And this is true, right? Because I knew I was going to take it anyway. And uh, because both of my doctors had told me to take it because they didn't know any better. None of us knew at the time that they were suppressing uh Act, accurate information. I didn't know that. Neither did my doctors. They didn't. Everybody was just as in the dark as anybody else. 
And at that time, we didn't know that there were other doctors out there with another narrative. I didn't know about the Great Barrington Declaration. I didn't know that there were other leading scientists and doctors who had a different idea. I didn't know what a criminal Dr. Fauci was. I, I didn't know that he did the same thing with the, in the AIDS crisis. And uh, I didn't know about that, right? But then I started, so then I took the vaccine. I got sick. Uh, never got better, right? So it was just horrible side effects. I had 180 over 120 was my blood pressure. I could have had a stroke at any moment. I had a, a neuro, neuro, uh, nerve pain, nerve damage. I had a, what I was diagnosed with an occipital neuralgia, which if you know what that is, it's the most wicked stiff neck you've ever had in your life. Um, I had joint pain. I had uh, exhaustion, short of breath, the whole thing. I had it for, for months, and I got into this program, uh, luckily a doctor who was on the forefront of treating people who were vaccine injured, and they were trying to find out a protocol, meaning a protocol for treatment, drugs, to treat people who had uh, long COVID. And they had a theory, my doctor was Dr. Yoganda, and he was working with Bruce Patterson, and they, they their idea was that the people who, who got vaccine injured would be presenting as if they had long COVID. And he showed me, they did a special blood test. I had to go to a special place. And then he showed me my biological markers on a printout. And he said, you are presenting as, as if you had long COVID, but you've never had COVID. So you got this from the vax. And so we're going to give you a bunch of, here's, we're trying to come up with a protocol to treat this. And so here's what we're going to give you. They gave me fluvoxamine. They gave me azithromycin, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sure. They gave me... Uh, they gave me I I ivermectin. And when he gave me ivermectin, I was like, hey, what's this? You know, I think this is that horse paste. And they go. And that's when it was explained to me that we were being lied to on a scale that our minds can't comprehend that. Uh, no, that ivermectin not only is not dangerous, it's not only a, uh, for animals, it's a human medicine. And in fact, it won the Nobel Prize for Human Medicine, and it's on the WHO list of essential medicines, been prescribed billions of times, and has saved billions of lives. And it has, and it's less toxic than Tylenol. And I was like, are you kidding me? And he said, Jimmy, before COVID, they were looking at ivermectin to treat cancer. It was considered a wonder drug. And the reason why they're lying about it now is because if ivermectin treats COVID, they can't get their authorization, emergency use authorization, to get these vaccines, and then that's all over. Well, it can treat. It does. And so does hydroxychloroquine. And that's why Africa doesn't have AIDS. I mean, doesn't have a, doesn't have a problem with COVID. Um and everybody's trying to figure it out. Oh, oh, it's because they have a lower, younger population. It's because of their outside more. It's because of this. Blah, blah. It's probably all those things. And it's also because of the ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. So when, so that was like, oh, my God, they're lying about it. So this is just a big money grab. And as soon as I figured that out, I and no matter what I looked into, no matter what I looked into, they were lying about it. They were lying about ivermectin. They're lying about hydroxychloroquine. They were lying about, they wouldn't even tell you about monoclonals. You remember when Chris Christie and Donald Trump, they all got COVID at the same time because they were at the same thing. They were at the same party and they all got COVID. And then no, they're all better. They're all better like a week later. I'm like, 
wait a minute, the fattest guy in the country, and this is supposed to target the obese, and they're both obese, and somehow they made it through, and and he's and Trump's elderly, he's in his 70s, it didn't make sense to me. Well, it's because they were getting monoclonals, and they didn't tell anybody that. And so we actually did have a treatment. It is called, it's called monoclonals, and they were 80% at least effective according to their own numbers. And so everything they lied about, they're lying about early treatments, they were lying about herd immunity, they were lying about masks, they were lying about natural immunity, they were lying about the vaccine stopping uh, preventing transmission, they were lying about a presenting, preventing contraction, they were lying about the safety, they were also lying about the seriousness of the virus. The virus was never a serious virus because just like Bill Gates, after he cashed in his stock that he invested, his money that he invested in Pfizer, he cashes it in and then he starts telling people the truth. He says, yeah, well, the virus, well, it isn't that deadly. It has a low fatality rate. It's a quote. This is a direct quote. It has a low fatality rate, kind of like it affects the elderly and those with comorbidities, kind of like the flu, but a little different. Yeah, the average age of death from COVID is over the age of life expectancy. And then we're and but we're but we're vaccinating high schoolers, we're vaccinating teenagers and children and now babies. This is the criminal act on an unbelievable scale. And they're still doing it because they own the media and because they've gotten away with it and because they have immunity from lawsuits. Why do you need why do you need immunity from a vaccine? Why do you need immunity from a lawsuit? Why do you need that if it's safe and effective? If you've done all the trials, because it's not, and you haven't done all the trials, that's why, and because the people who are pushing this are the biggest criminals in the world, and they've already proven that they were willing to kill massive amounts of people for profit. They do it left and right. They, they it's un. You know the story. You know how they did with Vioxx. You know they just got half the country. Yeah, I was the first one to pop, to publish that uh, publicly in 1999 before it even went on the market. I, I said it was going to kill people from strokes, and I wound up killing 60,000 people. And they knew it was going to do that. And yeah, they the had the internal, evidence for it. it and, and the internal it, memo reveals that they didn't care. They go, yeah, but we're still going to make more money than they're going to fine us for. It's the it's the most psychopathic, evil system I've ever seen, and everybody is okay with it. Um, so that was my journey. So when I, when I looked into it, they were lying about everything to the point where they were even coloring Joe Rogan's face to make him look sicker than he actually was when he got COVID. He, he got COVID, he beat it in two days. He was tested negative for the virus and uh, CNN had to lie about him and they continue to lie. And, um, they had, they literally colored his face to make him look green, to make him look sicker. Those are the people who are lying. Joe Rogan was never lying. Joe Rogan never lied about COVID. In fact, everything Joe Rogan told you was true about COVID. And now, now, uh, Bill Gates is now also, not only is he telling you the truth about the, the, uh, this about how unserious or how about the pathology, the deadliness of the virus, which it's not. Uh, he's now telling you the truth about the vaccine. So now he says, yeah, the vaccine, uh, these vaccines aren't good. They don't block transmission. They're not long lasting. And I was like, you son of a bitch. So how could you so how could we have mandated that something that doesn't block transmission? The only reason 
you would mandate a vaccine against a virus is because it did just that. It blocked transmission. That's the only reason. And it never made sense to me that you I, you had to get your vaccine so I didn't catch it. Well, if it works. Why don't you just go get your vaccine? I don't have to worry about someone else when I get in an elevator if they have the polio vaccine or if they took their measles vaccine. I don't have to worry about that because I took mine. But why is it all of a sudden? So that's how you knew they were lying. They always knew. They always knew that this vaccine was not a vaccine. I don't I don't know what you call a, 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 a medical treatment that doesn't block the transmission of a virus and doesn't block you from contracting it. That's not a vaccine. That's called the therapeutic. And by the way, it doesn't it caused more harm than good. So more people were injured by the vaccine than got saved by it. And by the way, people who are under 80 years old and don't have comorbidities don't need to take the vaccine because they're going to get uh, uh, right now. Nobody should take it. Omicron is a cold. It has exactly what Dr. Robert Malone uh, explained on my show in early 2021 was that the virus is going to mutate to become way more infectious and less deadly. And that's exactly what happened. And I've had COVID now three times in this in the form of Omicron. And it was nothing. It was the mildest cold I ever had in my life. But then I took Paxlovid like a moron. And I got it again. And I got it again. So that's my journey. And what people can't realize is that, well, what's crazy is where is the LGBTQ community on this? Like, they're the ones who were storming the NIH building in the 90s. They're the ones who the 80s, the 80s. In the 80s, over, over Fauci keeping cheap, effective drugs from AIDS patients, just like Fauci kept cheap, effective drugs from COVID patients. They did the exact same thing. And what did they do? They have a money-making drug that they want to push, and they pushed it. They pushed AZT, just like they pushed Rendemisvir now, and just like they pushed the vaccines. And they, they'll never tell you. Anyway, so it, what what's happening is, is, is we're run by psychopathic criminals, and the entire government and people don't realize that our government is not regular corrupt when they say when they hear people like me say the, the government is corrupted. They think like, oh, Joe Biden gave his kid a no show job on an energy board in Ukraine or Donald Trump set up a business deal with his kid in the Saudi. That's what they think about when I when people say corruption. No, no, no. The whole thing is corrupt. The whole COVID policy was corrupt. The whole vaccine rollout, 100% corrupt. Everything that happens in Congress happens because of the grease the uh, from the oil of corruption. There, and if it if there isn't corruption in there to grease the wheels, the uh, the the mechanisms of government don't run. And that's why we can send $100 billion to Ukraine, because that's $100 billion in corruption, while we don't send $100 billion to the United States to end homelessness. $100 billion could end homelessness three times in the United States, and they won't send it to our own goddamn country because there's nobody there to make a profit off it. But there's lots of people who already have their grips on our government, our legislators, who make a big profit off of war. So we have an endless death economy, and that's all we can do. We will not invest in our own country. This is called an end of an empire. This is how all empires end, and we're ending right now. Right now, they're wrecking the petrodollar. They're wrecking the petrodollar with this proxy war in Ukraine. And as soon as the petrodollar, what, what is that? So they're doing all the things that they claimed Trump was going to do because he was such a madman. Trump was going to alienate the rest of the world, including our allies, and they were all going to join together against us. That's exactly what's happening right now. Russia and China and India, Italy, uh, uh, Venezuela, they're coming together. And they're I know I'm running over, but it's just too good. To combat the United States and NATO hegemony. 
And so what they claim Trump and now and they're doing it by saber rattling with two nuclear powers. This was the stuff that they said Trump was going to do. Trump actually wasn't. He was actually a peacenik compared to these guys. Trump didn't start another war. Uh, and so that's and, and that's why they're arresting him. Uh, that's why they're doing all this stuff. That's why they impeached him twice. They had to do an FBI op on January 6th. The whole thing is they know that people are done with the oligarchy. They're done with this two party duopoly, which is a uniparty because they all work for the same people. Just like the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington generals get paid by the same guy, the Democrats and the Republicans get paid by the same guys. Wall Street, Big Pharma, health insurance, Silicon Valley, and the military-industrial complex. They all work for the same people, which is why we can have an economic, uh, an ecological disaster that's poisoning people in East Palestine, and nobody cares about it in the government, but they will fly to Kiev and pro promise another $10 billion to another foreign country because corruption is greasing the wheels of that happening. There's no corruption. The corruption is, is keeping people from helping those people in East Palestine. Corruption greases the wheel to ignore that problem. Because the oligarchs, the type, the railroad tycoons own the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, and Joe Biden works for them, which is why what happened happened, which is why the Democratic Party told you you had to vote for them because they're the ones trying to save democracy, and the Republicans are fascists. And then the first thing the Democrats did after they voted for them was they committed fascism by crushing a railroad worker strike. That's called fascism. And why did they do that? They fascistly crushed a railroad worker strike because they were gonna win the railroad work they didn't do that because the railroad workers were gonna lose their strike they did that because they were gonna win and they were gonna win immediately and so we live in a fascist government and so anybody who thinks they're voting for democrats and patting themselves on the back like they're they're fighting against fascism or white supremacy i want to disabuse you of that stupid idea you are not you are voting for another brand of fascism and joe biden was not the lesser of two evils just like bill clinton was not the lesser of two evils nor was barack obama the democratic party is the greater evil because they can get more stuff done because they put a pretty smile on their evil just like barack obama and you can't get it the reason why the empire hates Donald Trump is because he puts an ugly face on their imperialism and their empire. And that's why they have to get rid of them. And that's why they can't let them run, because they know people are done with that uh, already. They're done with the oligarchy and they're willing to vote for a game show host con artists over Hillary Clinton, over Joe Biden, over whatever corporate tool they put in front of us again. That's how bad it's gotten. Uh, I don't know uh, how much longer people are going to take it in America before they get in the streets. But the truckers in Canada showed that the way to get at them is you shut down capitalism. And the truckers in Canada, people don't know this, were vaccinated at a higher rate than the general population in Canada. The truckers weren't protesting medicine. The truckers were protesting authoritarianism. And they were right okay i'll stop talking well thank you for that monologue uh it's a really great example of what you do regularly on your show and uh, i watch your, your show pretty much every night the youtube clips and uh i do it right before i go to bed and i'm really entertained as you just entertain us with the summary of which for the last few weeks so i'm particularly curious though since you is you as a person who was in fear and capitulated to the idea that the vax was going to save you from uh, some devastating disease. Uh, and you woke up and you, you learned the truth and you investigated it. But yet it seems you still have the belief system 
that the other vaccines, like the smallpox and the polio vaccine, were authentic and real, and they really served a good role. I don't know if you've done a deep dive in them, but there's incredible evidence to suspect that's a, a scam just equal to COVID, unequivocally. And, well, and- I have I have seen some things about polio vaccine lately. In fact, that there was a polio outbreak uh, uh, in New York State that was caused by the polio vaccine. Which polio vaccine? Not the kind they give to people in the United States. It's the kind of vaccine, it's the oral vaccine, which we know gives people polio. It's a live attenuated vaccine, right. Yeah, and where do they send that vaccine? They don't send it to Massachusetts. They don't send it to San Francisco. They send it to poor countries. That's where, and so that's how people were getting polio again. And of course, they released that. It's even deeper than that, though. It may not be the actual polio virus that causes polio. That's the assumption. But if you look into it, they changed the definitions completely, just like they did with COVID, to what define what is COVID and what is a reaction from the from the vaccine? Because most of the people who are getting the symptoms were getting it after they got the, the the vaccination. But the the belief now that people have really studied this carefully is that it's due to heavy metals and DDT. That's what caused the epidemics and the, that we had in polio in the beginning of the 20th century, and when they started putting these in these pesticides like DDT into in the food supply and. And, and there was really clear evidence on it that's just incredible. So it's it's all a fraud, all a scam. I've, I've really understood this since the 90s and uh, really have been had the honor of being on the front page of the Washington Post one Christmas or Christmas Eve as the primary funder for the anti-vax movement. They called me out. <laughs> I, I would say that the difference between Jonas Salk and Dr. Fauci is striking, though, right? Uh, Dr. Salk actually didn't want to make money off his polio vaccine. I don't think he was an evil character like the people in my and oh. Pfizer and Moderna are today. Would you or Johnson and Johnson? Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, so yeah. and it's in a similar mode, you know, it's almost equally as egregious, although they're not killing people. Uh, they, they may be in some ways because of the financial uh, hardships that they're creating. But the inventor of the insulin uh, drug, uh, his name escapes me at the current time, but it was 1920s. They gave the patent, they sold the patent to the university that they worked for for $1. They wanted this to be done for humanity. Now, insulin is, is a hormone that's injected to, to, that's absolutely required if you have type 1, not type 2 diabetes. It's commonly used, probably more commonly used for type 2. It actually accelerates the death process if you give it for type two, but for type one, you are dead within days without it. And I don't know if you know, but when in the set, when I was in med school in the eighties, insulin was like five, $10 a bottle. Do you have an idea what they're charging now? I don't know, $50 or three, four, $500 for one bottle of a life-saving medication that the patent was given away for, for free essentially. So that would serve humanity and, and they didn't have to struggle to get this life-saving drug. It's not really a drug; it's a hormone that your body makes. But they, they developed recombinant DNA techniques to make to produce it. It's even more efficiently. It costs less to make it now. Before they had to extract it from animals or humans. Now they make it with uh, essentially uh, E. coli. They extract it from it, and it's much more efficient. And they charge, you know, five hundred or a thousand times as much as as they did uh, literally a, a few decades ago. So that that's another egregious challenge but it just demonstrates how corrupt the whole system is yeah i I don't think they'll ever be able to i i don't think they'll be able to 
repair the lack of trust in public health. I don't, I don't see, it, you know, I mean, our public health system is completely corrupted. It's run by uh, for-profit interests. And this is the kind of health care you get. You get uh, the people who make the drugs have complete immunity uh, from the damage they cause. And so then they just keep pushing these defective products that are poisonous on people left and right because they don't have to worry about anything. And they never go to jail anyway. The only thing they have to do is pay a, f- a fine if they do get caught. And uh, that never doesn't come out of their pocket. That comes out of your pocket. For It's the same thing. Um, I, I, I don't think people... Um, the, can you imagine them trying to get people to take another vaccine? I, I just can't see them. I don't I don't see it happening. Well, well now you you woke up to the truth. What is your perception? Because you're you're in a state where there's a lot more people who are still confused and brainwashed of the the percentage of the the population that is still brainwashed that don't, doesn't understand. Do you think it's it's a third, higher than a third, more than a third, or less than a third? I I would. I would say half. <laughs> I, would say, I would say if you vote Democrat, you 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 are completely indoctrinated in the propaganda around COVID. I don't know many people who vote voted for Joe Biden who don't still repeat that the the, the, the lies about COVID and the vaccine that came directly from big pharma criminals and friend Fauci, who's also a murderer. Um, did, did you lose a lot of friends because of your? Oh yes. Oh, my friends look at me like uh, like uh, like I have a scarlet letter on my neck, right? On my chest. It, that that's what that's what happens. And so my yes, that happened. I mean, people I've known for thirty years, and people think like all of a sudden Jimmy just started uh, lying. He's like, I started somehow repeating. Well, J- John Stewart found out. John Stewart went on eighteen months ago, went on the Stephen Colbert show, and did a hilarious routine about how, of course, the virus came from the Wuhan uh, lab that studies coronaviruses. Of course, it came from that. And it was hilarious. And he got ostracized. He got canceled by his, what I like to call, well, his liberal, uh, I call them shit libs, because being liberal is a good thing, but they've bastardized being a liberal into being the opposite, into being an authoritarian. And so I call them shit libs. And he runs in those circles and they ostracized him. He got canceled. And he said, I found out that the lab leak, if you thought the virus came from a lab, that made you a right winger. And if you thought it came from a wet market, that made you a left winger. And that's crazy. That's called cult. That's a cult thinking. And so when he did an an obvious comedy routine about the virus, he got canceled. That's what cults do. And John Stewart won't say it's a cult. He won't call it out. Uh, he's he bent the knee to the cult. And, and how is he bending the knee? Well, he won't tell you the truth about Ukraine. He pinned a medal on a Nazi at Disney World for Ukraine. He did. He gave a tongue bath to two war criminals, Condoleezza Rice and Hillary Clinton. Not one hard question. Um, so that's him trying to bend the knee to get back in with his lib circles. And yeah, that same thing happened to me. And the thing that's crazy to me is that all the all the machine has to do is find your fur point. And if it finds what you, you're afraid of, they can press it. And then you, all your critical thinking skills go out the window. My friends are comedians. And I don't know if you know about comedians, but we're the most skeptical people, cynical people in the world. People who can see through Russiagate. People knew Russiagate was a uh, 
a, a, a BS thing that was concocted by the Democratic Party and the intelligence community and the establishment. They could see that that's what that was. They could see through it clearly. They're the same people who could see through why Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump. The same people who knew it wasn't racism. The same people who voted for Barack Obama twice, then voted for Donald Trump. The reason why they were done with the both political parties turning their back on workers. And that's what happened. So people who could see through that and see through Russiagate had not one question about COVID. They pressed their fear button. They framed it in either you, if you believe Fauci, you're a good person. If you don't, if you have questions against Fauci, you're a white supremacist, Nazi, Trumper. That's how they framed it. And people ingested that propaganda and then spew it. Same people who can see through Russiagate, same people who can see through the lie about the 2016 election. They bought the COVID lies hook, line, and sinker. And even when someone like me, who they've known all their life, who was on the right side of every goddamn issue, whether it be Syria, whether it be Russiagate, whether it be Venezuela, whether it be Libya, no, whether it be Afghanistan, no matter what it was, I'm getting it right before everyone else and getting my teeth kicked in for it. And they still, with this, they still still won't admit they were wrong. It's easier to get some, and my people say, well, uh, you know, uh, do your friends apologize to you for being wrong? And I says, no, that they're not, not going to. one of them? None of them have apologized? Not or, one. Or, or recognized their errors? Not one. Well, one, but he wasn't someone who was, uh, he was someone who wasn't sure. He, he wasn't out there wagging his finger at me. Uh, so no, nobody who wagged their finger at me fascinating. has, has, has not only that, but it's, it's more of this. It's not, they're not going to forgive. They're not going to ask me for forgiveness. So what's the saying? There's a saying, I don't know who came up with it, but the saying is it's easier for people to forgive you when you're wrong than it is for them to forgive you when you're right. And that's what's happened. I was right. And they're never going to forgive me for being right about COVID, right about mandates, those ghoulish mandates for forcing an, uh, uh, an, an untested experimental medical treatment on people, forcing them to take it, or you can't go to work, forcing them to take it, or you can't travel, or you can't go eat lunch or you can't do anything, you can't be a participant in society, just like Chomsky. Chomsky wanted to isolate those people on the unvaccinated, and how did they get food? He said, that's their problem. It brought out the inner ghoul inside everybody, including a guy like Nazi, including, including a guy like Chomsky, who lived through the, the Nazis. He should have known better. He, he did it. It just showed you if you scare somebody, they all become right-wing authoritarians. And that's exactly what happened to Chomsky. That's exactly what happened to every one of my friends. And they're never going to apologize. And it just goes to show you that uh, you only have a few friends in life. And you might think you have a lot of friends. You don't. No matter what you think. If you can, if you can say you have two good friends in your life, you're doing okay. And uh, so now my friendships have shifted. And now I see the courage and the balls of steel of a guy like Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, you uh, interviewed our, him last week. That's right. I interviewed him a few days afterwards. So I was going to ask you about that as the next question. What What do you think about his chances? Well, it's because he seems pretty aligned with your principles. And, you know, I was really impressed. I actually got goosebumps interviewing him because he provided some compelling arguments that if he was able to secure the nomination, that he could really make a difference. Unlike Trump who promised things, he knew how to fix it. 
Unlike the Republican Party, the Democrats have super delegates, and they already admitted in court that they could handpick their delegate in a smoky room without any elections, and they couldn't do anything about it, which is exactly what they'll do if Bobby Kennedy runs as a Democrat. Oh, he, he won't get it because of the super delegates. They won't get the nomination. No, nope. He's not going to get the do- he's not going to get the nomination. Uh, there's not not a chance in hell. And if you see what they're doing to Donald Trump, what they did to Donald Trump. That's what they would have done to Bernie Sanders had he somehow miraculously won. But it's exactly what they'll do to RFK Jr. too. Same thing, the same thing. And what he needs to do is run in a third party, but he's going to run inside that corrupt anti-worker pro-war Democratic Party because he's been a Democrat his whole life, even though. And I and I what I wanted to tell him what, what I, I did, I, I pushed back on him a lot. I tried to get him to realize that it's a fool's errand to run for president inside the Democratic Party. Uh, he, uh, I, I, I just don't understand, like, what could he possibly, it, the, the only, the only way you can attack this is to get people in the streets. And even if you're, if you run as a third party, I, I wish he would try to build a new party. Uh, that's what we need. We need an, actually, we need a new party that the corporations and the military industrial complex haven't corrupted already. Same in Britain. I, I it, it just I know he wants to run as a Democrat because he's been a Democrat his whole life. What I wanted to tell him is, hey, the Democrats don't want you. <laughs> I don't know what you think, but they don't want you. Uh, I mean, the people who run the party and the people who are not going to let go of the party, they got caught cheating Bernie Sanders. Debbie Wasserman Schultz had to step down. It was completely corrupt. The whole primary. They never had to change a thing. And Bernie Sanders never made him change a thing. He never made him pay a price for getting caught cheating him. But they didn't cheat him. They cheated Americans. They cheated Bernie Sanders following. They treated progressives. Bernie Sanders was just a figurehead. And Bernie Sanders, by the way, never asked his followers to do one thing to fight the establishment. Never except vote for him. Never do one other thing. Never get in the streets. Never shut something down. Never go to protest at the Capitol. Never go to protest at the White. Never do a damn thing. They will never. AOC will never ask you to do anything. Bernie Sanders will never ask you to do anything. And that is why having people like that inside the Democratic Party is actually more harmful to our country than it it helps because it gives people the false idea that there's somebody in government fighting for them. There isn't. Bernie Sanders is is a war pig just like aoc is a war pig and they're voting for hundreds of billions of dollars to be fleeced from our treasury while they don't give us health care they don't give us a living wage they don't give us education that doesn't bankrupt us and there are people living under every goddamn bridge those people are corrupt war pigs and bobby kennedy running as a democrat gives people the false idea that one of those parties is going to actually work for you well they're not Oh, didn't you support Bernie Sanders, though, in the 2016 election? I sure did. I, I supported him 100 percent. And uh, then as soon as I saw that Bernie Sanders tucked his tail and folded into the establishment, I started telling the truth about Bernie Sanders. And that also lost me a lot of friends and followers. So that's the irony of this, is that people say what I'm saying and doing is because I'm a grifter trying to get people to like me on a phony pretense. Uh, I've challenged my audience several times and lost lots of audience because of it. And it's because I tell the truth. My show is successful, not because I'm a 
liar, but because I tell the truth that people are desperate to hear. That's why my show is successful, because I push back against the propaganda. And right now, everybody who used to be a Bernie Sanders follower and had YouTube shows are now Joe Biden bitches who are now just repeating propaganda about everything from vaccines to lockdowns to immunity to Ukraine to everything. They're just complete. There's no point to them. Uh People think that the intercept is somehow telling you the truth. Uh, <laughs> it, it's amazing. It's I have I've talked to people. They they think when they read what they read at the New York Times and the Washington Post or what they hear on CNN or MSNBC, they don't think those people are lying. You know, Russell Brand was on Bill Maher and uh, he confronted that guy by saying that Fox News is no different than MSNBC or CNN, and it isn't. Except it's a little better because the Tucker Carlson actually tells the truth about Ukraine and foreign policy, and they'll never do that on MSNBC or CNN. And Tucker Carlson will tell the truth about vaccines, COVID, and lockdowns, and they'll never do that on CNN or MSNBC. So when he challenged that panel on Bill Maher, he said that one the one guy said back to Russell Brand, hey, give me one example when a host knowingly said something they knew was a lie. And he kind of got handcuffed on that. Well, they go, turn on the news about Ukraine. You don't think that you somehow they don't know as much as Jimmy Dore does about the Ukraine war. Of course they do. They choose to lie because that's where their paycheck comes from. I would have said, hey, uh, what? they all lied about the vaccines. They all said the vaccines stop transmission. It'll stop it dead. Rachel Maddow had a five minute soliloquy about how if you get the vaccine, you cannot pass the virus. You cannot catch the virus. She's a Rhodes Scholar. I knew that was a lie when she was saying it. You don't think she knows it's a lie? I'm a fucking C student comedian pothead. She's a Rhodes Scholar with a hundred million dollar staff. You don't think she knows everything there is to know about the vaccine? She knew and she lied. So I could tell you a million lies. That would be- Preach it, brother. Go ahead. Isn't there a possibility she was confused like you? And no. Why are you so confident that's the case? Because you, you made the same mistake. Why is there no possibility that she made a similar? No, she made that mistake. She made that mistake after we knew this stuff. They all made the, They all were saying that. And it's not a mistake. There's no way Rachel Maddow was misinformed. There's no way. And uh, she, she was saying it when we knew that the, 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 the truth. And by the way, she's never retracted it. Isn't that funny? She, that's how I know she knows she was lying. Because she's never retracted it. And that video is still up. That's why. Well, the video that's really appalling is the where she was repeating the lies of the people uh, standing outside the emergency room in the middle of summer with with winter coats on uh, because they couldn't get in because of those being treated for side effects of ivermectin. And it was in a Texas hospital. And how could you not know that was a lie? Of course, you would know that was a lie. If you did any due diligence as a reporter, like I said, she's got a hundred million dollar staff. Nobody nobody called that hospital to find out if that story was true. You just repeated a bogus propaganda story about people standing in line at an emergency room with gunshots. But because people with who took ivermectin were clogging up the ICUs, that that's just so they'd even try to make me believe that lie she repeated that lie you're right that's even an even more egregious lie and she repeated that and by the way still on, it's still on youtube isn't it still on youtube but she's never, taken, never down got taken down never taken down that tweet and never apologized for it never said that they lied about joe rogan that they lied about ivermectin they never that stuff. that's how i know they're lying they're lying constantly you turn on the tv it's a lie from start to finish so what so the solution you know it's, it's always good to look for solutions you, you've made a compelling argument that 
it's a fool's errand to consider uh, any candidate in either the Republican or Democrat party because it's just not going to work. They're controlled by oligarchs. So how would you envision a successful third party candidate? I mean, Ross Perot tried it in the. Uh, that was pretty successful. It was successful, but it you know because he ran, I forget who we, who he opposed. It was the Republican that it was lost, him, and it, it was him against Bill Clinton and George Bush the first. And yeah, yeah, that's that's what it was. That, I forgot who he was running against. As soon as, yeah, soon so, as he got as soon as he got traction, this, they started threatening him, and you saw he got his, he got scared shitless, that they were gonna they were gonna come for him, and he was saying stuff about his mom. My my daughter's getting married, and they're gonna mess up my daughter's wedding. They're gonna they're gonna do everything to him, and he he didn't know how politics worked. And so that's why it scared the hell out of Ross Perot. He still got 20 percent of the vote, even after he tucked his tail and ran away from the establishment. He was afraid of them. They scared the hell out of him, the CIA and the FBI. They scared the hell out of Ross Perot. That's why he didn't do a better job or didn't run again. Yeah, well, and now, why don't you why don't you think those they would folk, put that focus and fear of God in anyone who's who would appear to have a success? They would. They would. I mean, but that's, that's why it takes a guy like Bobby Kennedy with balls of steel to go up against those people. That's yeah, I, I specifically question him because his dad and his uncle were both killed by the CIA. So I said, how how are you going to so work? Why aren't they gonna, so I didn't want to say that. I mean, I, I don't know how you say that to you said that to him. I did. Yeah. And well, how did he respond? I would love that because that's what I wanted to say. You don't think they're going to kill you? It was because he's been a allegedly killed by the CIA. Allegedly. Both of those deaths. Uh, it's not a conspiracy theory, although interesting. That is the that is the time that the the CIA actually developed the conspiracy theory. That's right. Jargon. Yeah, that was, was a that. It was interesting because Alan Dulles, who was the head of the CIA at the time, Kennedy fired him and the two guys under him, and then Alan Dulles, which is um, it's very con convincing that he's involved in the assassination, but he they. they Put him in charge of the Warren Commission to figure out who shot JFK. Ah, <laughs> go figure. So anyway, I forget a specific response, but it, it didn't seem like it was going to be valid. But uh, I can send you the, that clip if you want to see how he responded to that. Yeah, I'd love to see that. That's, uh, but you know, I'm a big fan of Bobby Kennedy. I'm just not. Uh, I'm just. Uh, I see that it's a it's a fool's errand to run inside the democratic party we've got to break this this two-party duopoly it's a uniparty and they how do you do it when you got a cia that will take you out if you're successful you got to get people in you got to get people all you can do is i would say run as a third party and get people in the streets encourage direct action encourage worker unions uh to demonstrate encourage people to get in uh and 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 throw themselves on the gears of uh, capitalism because that's the that's that's the only way we're going to get out of this that's the only way and i know now as soon as you do that as soon as you get in the streets they're going to start turn they're going to uh turn off your they're going to call you nazis white supremacists they're going to do whatever they can and they're going to turn off your bank accounts uh just like they did to well, the it's even more effective the cbdc's the cbdc's are coming so they just electronically a little switch and right. you're gone you but can't purchase gone. anything yeah, that's right. So, and that's so. It seems like if we're going to try this strategy, there's a limited window because once those CBDCs hit, it's going to be even exponentially more difficult to do it. What What does that stand for? CBD, central bank digital currencies. Oh, that's all your finances are controlled by by the central bank. That's right. And 
you know, you will you will not own anything. That they, they don't want you to buy a loaf of bread. You're not going to get it. They don't want you to travel five miles from your house. You're you're limited. You can't buy anything. You know, it's just it's it's the ultimate form of tyranny when they control all of your finances. And that's coming. I mean, every single major nation in the world is is investigating this. And there's a few that have already deployed them, but next year or two, they're all going to be deployed. And so. It's- why didn't any of the book? Did any of the books predict this? Did Aldous Huxley or Orwell? Did anybody predict that 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 this would be the way they controlled people? Oh, I don't specifically recall that was mentioned, but that you know, it's an advancement in technology that allows them to do it. In some ways, it's not too completely different than cryptocurrency. It's just yeah. that it's instead of a decentralized, it's centralized into the central banks. Well, cryptocurrency so, is blockchain, so that's I don't understand what that is, but that's supposed to make it like safe, right? That it's blockchain. Oh no, it depends on how it's configured. So if it's if it, if if it's centralized, like the like the central banks are, then it it doesn't matter because there's a single point of control and and uh, it's a little I, more secure for hacking and such. Uh, but with respect to privacy, no, there's there's no privacy. Isn't it decentralized? I thought it was decentralized. That was the that was the selling point. Well, that's for Bitcoin. Most of the yeah. others are not. Yeah, that's oh, really? Oh, yeah. So all, all the other coins, they call them altcoins for short, alternative coins. Even Ethereum, they're they're all centralized. So Orwell thought it was going to be just rank authoritarianism, the of uh, the boot of the man smashing your your face forever. That's what he thought was going to happen. Now we've experienced that with lockdowns. Uh, but Aldous Huxley thought what was going to happen is that people were going to be so distracted that they wouldn't even give a shit that they couldn't go out of their house. And I think we saw both those things happen uh, at the same time that we, here we are, we got our Soma, right? We got our, uh, we got our antidepressants. We got our, uh, our fentanyl. We got our alcohol. We got our marijuana. We got everything. And, and we also have Netflix and we also have our phones and we also have Twitter and TikTok and all. And so we're just com- we're completely entertained to death. We're distracted to death while the fascists take over. And we and so half of them give it up that way. Another half have to be crushed. And so I think that's what's happening right now in our culture. So what 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 what's your projection for the future? Do you think it's going to get much worse or I think it's going to get much worse. And um, I don't see people getting in the streets to overthrow this oligarchy because this is an oligarchy. This is not a democracy, which is why it's hilarious that they the Democrats still campaign on. You have to vote to save democracy. Your democracy was taken from you decades ago. It's called the corporate capture of our government, which is why workers haven't had a pay raise since 1980. That's why. Uh, that's anyway. So we we don't live in a democracy, and so. Um, I think things are going to get going to keep getting worse. They won't even they'll send a hundred billion dollars to Ukraine. They won't send a hundred billion dollars to the United States. You know, I say that on stage in Los Angeles in front of crowds of people who don't know I'm coming. So they're not my fans. And so when I get on stage and I say that they cheer. These are people who don't know me, random people who happen to show up at a comedy club. And I get on stage, and I'm like, hey, I don't mind if they send $100 billion to Ukraine. I just wish they'd send $100 billion to the United States. And the people f-ing know that there's something wrong with that. They know that they could fix these problems in the United States, but they're, they just don't want to. Because we live in a rapacious oligarchy, which is what Dylan Radigan coined that phrase on my show. We live in a rapacious oligarchy. They don't care. 
And this is how all empires end. We have a thousand military bases around the world. You know how many Russia has? Three. You know how many China has? I don't know, two. And it's like nothing. We have a thousand military bases. We're the terrorists. We have 400 military bases surrounding China since the Korean War. We're the ones provoking, we have doing a war right now on Russia's border. Can you imagine if Russia was financing a war against us in Mexico to the tune of $100 billion? Could you imagine if Russia was sending their missiles and their tanks? And could you imagine if that was happening? I. It, what do you think we would do? And so that's exactly what's happening right now. And so people, I think, are catching on. And um, I, I thought COVID lockdown would do it. You know, we were the only country in the Western world that didn't give our workers a paycheck when we shut down their business. Every other country did that. Every other country in the Western world gave their workers a paycheck when they shut their businesses. They didn't do that in the United States, and they wouldn't even give them a $2,000 check, and Joe Biden lied about that right out in public. And people still didn't rise up, and people still tell you got to vote for Joe Biden. Joe Biden is your enemy. The Democratic Party is your enemy. There aren't any good guys, Democrats, Republicans. They're all bad guys. Cindy, so you, what, what is your perception of the most egregious crime that's being committed? Is the participation in the war and all the U.S. military uh, uh, bases overseas? Uh, is it what they've done with COVID? Is it uh, the movement towards tyranny, authoritarianism? What, what do you perceive the biggest issue is? Well, I, it, they've already slaughtered 100,000 Ukrainians in that war. How many people have been killed by this COVID policy? Oh, well over a million probably more, more than that yeah, so i guess several it would be million easy probably as many as it got killed in germany yeah so uh, i wonder how long it will take people to wake up i don't think the people who got this wrong will ever admit that they got it wrong uh people like tim robbins are admitting they got it wrong act the actor tim robbins um he admitted he got it wrong uh, guys like John Stewart will not. They're, they're done pushing back against the COVID narrative. They're done. John Stewart did a whole panel where he wanted to talk about vaccines. And who did he bring on? He brought on four vaccine liars. He didn't bring on Dr. Robert Malone. He didn't bring you on. He didn't bring on anybody. He brought on four vaccine liars to tell you the truth about vaccines. And first he had to do a five minute homage to how great vaccines are and how they've saved all the, they're the greatest things in the world. And I'm a good boy, please don't get it wrong. I'm John Stewart, I'm a good boy. It was, it's really sad to see someone like John Stewart who was my hero comedically turn into this. Yeah, I wanted you to comment on this. Thank you for reminding me because we've posted many of your videos on our site and some of them have your disclaimer that you <laughs> you give just to not be deplatformed off of YouTube and that vaccines are just exactly what you said. Vaccines are the greatest thing they've been. <laughs> and you do it in such a convincing manner. Anyone who's been watching, you know that you're just saying that because they don't want to get kicked off. But people who are new to your channel believe you. Well, doctor, you know, the vaccines are safe and effective. They're fantastic. My, <laughs> my heart swells to four times its size with pride after getting a booster. Uh, it, it'll keep you from getting seriously ill or hospitalized or death. They're fantastic. <laughs> I think I, I take two boosters in the morning every day. I think they're fantastic. Well, you know, that's, that's where you can get away with your comedic license. But, you know, you, you did convince some people that you, I mean, they didn't like you because they thought you were, you were, you were not uh, being sarcastic about that comment. 
Well, I had to do that to to uh, to save my channel. And when I say that like that, so over the top, obviously yeah, hyperbolic, you know, sarcastically, you know, I'm doing it satirically. And there's no better way to make fun of YouTube and their corruption than to do satire. And so that's a because I'm saying exactly what they have made me say. And I just say it with a straight face. And it's hilarious. I think it's very funny. Yes, I laugh every time I hear it. But I'm just concerned about the people who are new to your channel and think that, you know, that, that don't that are just they're still brainwashing propaganda. I'm confused. Why is this yeah. center so good? <laughs> well, keep watching. You'll it'll I'll clear it up for you. You do a, you do such a magnificent job because there's so much stuff that they're throwing at us every day. There's something new in the news, and I I just really appreciate you breaking it down, teasing it out, and and uh, reviewing it and uh, enlightening so many people. You've done so much to help so many people understand what's going on there. So. No, I want to. I want to let people. I want to let people know who. Uh, so, if people see one of my videos on Facebook and it's been fact checked, know that that's being fact checked by uh, someone that's being funded by either Johnson and Johnson or Bill Gates or an oligarchy billionaire somewhere. For instance, fact check Pfizer. <laughs> yeah, or Pfizer. Fact check By the way. Um. They're not a fact-checking organization. They're a propaganda arm of the oligarchy. Do you know who funds the factcheck.org? They get a big check from the Annenberg Foundation. Do you know who's the biggest donor to the Annenberg Foundation? Bill yeah. Gates, of yeah. course. Yeah. So these people, and then who's the second biggest uh, donator to the Annenberg Foundation? Johnson & Johnson. And they, it's called the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. It's Johnson & Johnson. And so all you have to do is do a little digging. And these people, they call themselves fact-checking. They're not fact-checking. They're just propaganda wings of oligarchy. And so if people see some of my stuff on Facebook or somewhere else, and it says, oh, it's been debunked or it's been fact-checked, that person's getting money directly from Bill Gates or Big Pharma. And that's not the only uh, fact-checking. They've got the, the Trusted News Initiative, and we have actually have a lawsuit against them with Bobby Kennedy uh, and a wide variety of others that have similar funding sources and are seeking to discredit people who are bringing the truth to dispute the narrative. But I wish Bobby Kennedy would run as a third party and I wish he would organize people to get in the streets. The guys, he's, uh, he's a real hope. When I talk to him, I can, you can just sense he's the real deal. And um, if anybody could do it, he can. And uh, I hope he proves me wrong, by the way, I know he's going to run as a Democrat and wouldn't it be great if he proved me wrong? Like, no, Jimmy, you actually can do it. Look, I did it. I grabbed power and I'm making big changes. Well, the, the critical bottleneck there is that I didn't realize there was a supermajority that would prevent him from ever getting the nomination. Well, superdelegates. Superdelegates, sorry. Yeah. And they would find other ways to rig it. Look what they did to Bernie this last time. They, could, they couldn't figure out. They, had to, they invented a new app for the Iowa primary. And somehow that new app couldn't count votes. Isn't that amazing? They couldn't figure out how many people vote. It just, it's real. And who invented that app? It's a bunch of Democratic Party operatives That's and, and donors. That's who did that to screw Bernie. That's exactly. And so they're going to invent way. If it isn't the superdelegates, which it will be, they will invent new ways to do it. Plus the, the, the onslaught in the media. Plus they'll just say, we did, oh, he didn't win. He didn't get the votes. And then if you say... Uh, you guys are stealing the election. They'll call you a conspiracy theorist, just like they did to anybody who challenges their elections. 
When the Democrats challenge an election, it's because they're good people standing up for democracy like they did against the 2016 election. They say the 2016 election was stolen by Russia. So that's okay to say, well, you can't say any other election was stolen or you're a kook. So our elections aren't secure enough in 2016 that a con man like Donald Trump could win. But they're so secure in 2020 that uh, that you couldn't ever have a question about it. Um, These people are pathological liars, criminals. We're ruled by criminals. And I hope Bobby Kennedy gets people in the streets because that's the only way to get this done. Just like Martin Luther King did, just like Gandhi did. That's the only way to overthrow. So Woody Harrelson was on Saturday Night Live when he gave that great monologue about how uh, the big drug cartels bought up all the media and they bought up all the politicians and they passed the law that said you can't leave your house unless you take their product. And that's exactly what they that's exactly what they did. So Woody Harrelson has a saying. He said the problem with the world is that every government is uh, run by a bunch of rich businessmen working for a bunch of richer businessmen. And nobody knows what to do about it because nobody knows how to fight corporations. And that's exactly true. Fascism. Bobby Kennedy Bobby Kennedy has taken yeah, we live in fascism. This idea that you're you're gonna vote for a Democrat to end fascism. We already live in a fascist government. Your your democracy has already been stolen from you. The perfect marriage of corporations and government, that's what fascism fascism is. That's why they crushed the strike. That's why they mandated vaccines. That's what it's all. That's why they gave a hundred billion dollars to Ukraine where they won't fix homelessness in America. They could fix homelessness three times over. They won't do it. Anyway, uh, we are living in fascism. Well, I really appreciate your efforts to wake and wake people up and educate them in a way that, you know, is really entertaining. Okay. All right, right, doctor. It's been a great talking to you. Thanks for the. All right. Likewise, you keep up the great work. I love your show. I watch it pretty much every night. (laughs) I appreciate you saying that. Thanks. I'm very flattered. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye. So this kind of turned into a two-hour special without me planning it, but I just—it was just such a good interview, wasn't it? So I might as well just—I uh, won't go quite to the two-hour mark. You're probably as sick of listening to this podcast as I am uh, <laughs> of doing it <laughs> two hours in one stint. But um, I'll just uh, add this here because this is a, a day-old article here from Reuters. Robert Kennedy Jr. to make 2024 Democratic presidential bid. A uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a lawyer and vaccine skeptic, who will make a that's that's a fair way of doing it. A lot of oh, the the anti-vax is going to try and uh, run for president. I've have seen that sort of portrayed in a couple of outlets. But uh, yeah, vaccine skeptic will make a bid for the White House in 2024, becoming the second long shot Democratic candidate to challenge Joe Biden in his expected run for re-election. Kennedy, 69, the son of assassinated 1968 presidential candidate U.S. Senator Robert F. Kennedy, filed papers with the Federal Election Commission on Wednesday. Marianne Williamson, the self-help guru who warned of the dark psychic force unleashed by Republican President Donald Trump, launched a Democratic presidential bid for 2024 in March, calling for justice and love. So uh, there we go. Oh, in 2021, Instagram removed Kennedy's account after he repeatedly shared debunked claims about COVID-19 in violation of its policies on the coronavirus pandemic. I wonder if they're still debunked in a... I wonder what those... I'd like to know what those debunked claims are and will they still be debunked in six months' times? 
Uh, a long-term vaccine skeptic, Kennedy was tapped in 2017 to oversee a presidential panel to review vaccine safety and science at the quest of US President-elect Donald Trump, a move that drew immediate criticism from scientists and public health experts who feared it would legitimise skeptics of childhood immunisation. The environmental lawyer, a member for the storied American political dynasty, was a nephew of assassinated President John F. Kennedy. Kennedy hinted at his presidential ambitions in a Twitter post last month, asking for help in deciding whether he should run for the White House. So, watch this space. Will he be another Trump, where he appeals to the grassroots of the base? Finally, we're getting our grassroots back. And a bit of a letdown, even if he gets in. Or will Jimmy Dawes analysis of the situation prove to be correct? Whatever it is, I'll keep you up to date here on Beyond the News. So thanks very much for listening, assuming you haven't turned me off already at some point during this uh, one hour and uh, 54 minute podcast. But um, I just really enjoyed that Jimmy Dawes interview. So I hope you did too. Thank you. Goodbye.